All right, something else that uh, came to mind. I believe the Lord um, placed this on my heart because, um, you know, sometimes we look at repetition as a dirty word. It's kind of like we, we say that's repetition and religiosity and kind of like you're just going through the motions. Um, but I just mentioned communion. Communion is repetitive, isn't it? We do it, we're supposed to do it often. Uh, Wednesday messages, they're repetitive. Um, not the same messages, but just the fact that we gather together. Sunday mornings, we all gather together. And so repetition is not a bad word unless you take it lightly and don't understand why it is that we're gathering together. That's a good thing. I enjoy the fellowship. Uh, they have great food afterwards. Um, they offer coffee. Um, and that's free of charge, right? And so we have all of that, but that's not why we're here, is it? Well, I'm here for the food. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> we're not here for that. So we need to also be reminded why it is that we're here. You know, I was just, um, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I was reading something in regards to uh, musicians. So professional musicians... Um, you know, have any, any of you gone to a concert? Yeah, a few of you will admit that you went to a concert. Okay. <laughs> and you see him perform. Like, sometimes it's like, eh, you know, it's all right. And then other times you see them perform and you think, wow, that's a performance. I mean, that's a show. That's entertainment, right? And like, I, I think about the Newsboys, right? That's like, Entertainment. They they do a wonderful job. They everything is choreographed. It's just like it looks flawless, seamless. Like, how did you know that? You know, like that was going to happen. And and I didn't know that was going to happen. But see, I'm getting excited already. <laughs> I didn't know this, but there is a term that is used in that profession. Have you ever heard of a block? Of a block, a block is 75 rehearsals prior to putting on a show. 75. Isn't that a lot? And they do it for money. I just like struck me like they put in that hard work 75 rehearsals you come together 75 times so so that means that they know when they they do this the other one does that and when one says this the other one like they know all of that they rehearse it 75 times 75 and it looks amazing when it all comes together doesn't it Where's Alex? Alex? Um, in jiu-jitsu, right? How, I mean, you go through belts, right? So how many times do the people need to come together and then, I mean, just off the top of your head, what, what do you think? You know, how many practices in order to be proficient at a certain level and then you have to be tested, right? What would you say? About five times they come together and they learn it all? No? 
No. Five times a week, two hours each time. Yeah, for a long time. And then you get tested. And, and then even then, right, you, so you achieve that belt, and then, but, there's, but wait, there's more, right? You have to keep coming, practicing, stronger, uh, understand how to respond when the opponent does this. In the military, you know, we have, um, in the Navy, we have uh, what we term as the SEALs, right? You, you guys are all familiar with the SEALs. The SEALs train and 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 then train some more. And then when all that training is done, they train even more. That is why it, it like some of these operations are, are almost seamless, right? Everyone knows exactly what the other is doing. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. We are commanded as God's people to come together and not to deny the fellowship of the saints. But why are we doing that? That's the, that's the thing that we need to answer is, why are we gathering together just to have a, a great time? We have a great time, but it's so much more than that. So that, that way when you do engage, because you will engage the enemy, during the week, you know how to handle it. Uh, when you are faced with difficult situations, decisions that you have to make, you know how to follow through with that. You know how to interact with each other. Uh, when we follow through with uh, being the local fellowship that we ought to be, we fulfill Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. We're building each other up in love, in sound doctrine. I wanted to bring that to your attention because we need to know why we gather together. We worship God, but we're, we're in this place right now for a very serious reason, and that is to grow, to mature in the Lord. That's why when you hear something, it's not for your neighbor, it's for you. It's for you. A good coach... A good mentor will always push you to do better and to grow more and just to perform at the top of your ability, which you will never understand, you will never achieve. Even the Apostle Paul says, I have not arrived. He called himself the chief of all sinners. Therefore, we need to humble ourselves even at this very moment and subject ourselves to the teaching of God's word, his word, his word. So I just wanted to, to share that with you. That was something that repetition, do it over and over and over again until it just seems like it, you're, it's just a part of you. That is who you are. I don't do Christian stuff. I am a Christian. I am a believer. I have a, a word to respond to that with. I, that's who I am. That's my character. That's the person that I am. With that, we're coming into Romans chapter 15. So Romans chapter 15. Does that all make sense? Hopefully it does. All right. 
All right, so Romans chapter 15, we're in part two of, um, of just breaking down this chapter. The title this morning is, again, For Others, so it's For Others, uh, part two, you could say. And we're covering verses 14 through 21 this morning. Um, so <clears throat> um, we're going to read verse 1, and then we're going to pop down to verse 13 and go on from there. Um, and read a few other verses, just to kind of get us up to speed. So Romans chapter 15, verse 1 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. If you go back to Romans chapter 14, verse 1, it says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not under not to quarrel over opinion. Um, that theme continues to go on even through this chapter. But what we need to pay attention to is how it is that Paul is addressing um, this issue and how it is that he, if you just pay attention to him, how it is that he gives himself to the upbuilding of those who are weak and then encourages the body to do the very same thing. Uh, again, as I said last week, weak is not um, something, like, not a derogatory term. It, it's not to put someone down. It's just a statement of fact. Uh, we uh, described um, who it was that would be weak, those who are, um, you could say, babies or new believers in Christ. They're weak. Um, those who um, are not reading the Word on a regular basis, not in fellowship regularly, um, just not, you know, not, not there or maybe backslidden, uh, you could say, are either weak or weak and sick. Uh, in sin, believers that are in sin are, are weak. Sick in their in their faith, you could say. Um, so all of that. So Paul, by his own encouragement and admonishment, is teaching the church how to come alongside each other and build each other up. Um, verse thirteen says in chapter fifteen, it says, "May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope." So. What we all desire is that we would be built up and abound in hope. At some point, we continue to add to that group of people who are overfilled with joy as we sung this morning because we are uh, standing firm in the hope that we have come to know in Christ. And then we go on from there. And I just want to read the last three few verses of this chapter. Verse 30 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that that would be our prayer, that that would be our desire, that just as Paul um, wrote at the very, in the very last portion of, of this chapter, and so concludes really this chapter, the rest is, is more of a, um, a parting words. Um, Lord, this statement should be something that comes from our very own hearts. And so I ask, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, that we would understand that, that, that our lives really should be devoted to serving you. And in serving you, we serve others. Because in your economy, the greatest of all 
is the one who serves the most, the one who is slave of all. And so, Father, help us to be those people that we collectively together may honor and glorify you as we individually devote ourselves to you. So we thank you, Father, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, so in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, it says, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, if we consider Paul in his writings, we see how his desire was that he would be given more and more opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was, that was uh, what he was fixed on. That's what he was given to, committed to, no matter what he did. Now remember, also, we, we, need, we, we can't forget the fact that he was also a tent maker. So he did work. And yet, that's not what he focused on. He focused on what it was that God called him to do. That is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was what he kept asking everyone, please pray that, that the Lord would give me boldness, that he would give me the words to speak the good news of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he writes, And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He knew this is what he is compelled to speak. This is what he is compelled to communicate to the world. The good news of Jesus Christ. Paul reflected the character of his Lord. Paul reflected the character of Jesus Christ. A life of servitude which we just read about as far as Jesus Christ was concerned. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So Paul himself reflected that. A life of servitude toward Jesus and the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ. But I must admit that a life of serving others is not easy. It is the most difficult work you can give yourself to because it requires you to bear with failings to live in harmony. So when you give of yourself, and, and this, is, this is one of the reasons why I have heard people say, there's no way I could do what you're doing. There's no, like, I, I can't do that. Like, no, I can't do it either. You know, Moses couldn't do it either. You know, Joshua couldn't do it either. Lead the people. Peter couldn't. Uh, Paul couldn't in and of his own strength and power. None of these people could. I think we oftentimes use those reasons as justification for laziness. I just, I don't want to. It'd be better for you to just say, no. This is no. Let your no be no, your yes be yes. Right? 
but it is difficult work. But it's the best thing that I have found that anyone could ever do to be privileged and honored to serve the Lord is the most satisfying, fulfilling thing I could do. Why? Because I've come to realize that that's the very thing I was called to do. Ephesians 2, uh, 10 speaks of that. These good works were were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them by, by the Lord. Therefore, we ought to walk in them. In the midst of it, you stay humble because you need to consider your own failings as you help others through theirs. It keeps you humble. If, if I were to sit down and consider all my failings, like just yesterday, be like, okay, that's humbling, but Lord, you've called me to lead, so let's continue to lead. Let's continue to move forward. We're all moving in the same direction. This requires you to guard your own heart, your own mind. Especially today, you need to know how to have your heart guarded and have your mind guarded. Oh, there's so many things coming against us. So many things. In so many, but in so many different directions are just these fiery darts that are coming at us. Therefore, it is even more important to have an understanding of how these hearts need to be guarded in our minds. Listen, we have enough with distractions because of our own doing. Now, we need to learn this. Because oftentimes also in serving others, there's betrayal, there's offenses. Things are done that are unbiblical, they're an offense to God. So that's why it's important. Keep this in check. Keep this in check. Because otherwise you'll be tempted and you'll fall in the same sin. Whether it be bitterness of heart or something else, you, you kind of you'll lose it. Forget it. Even Moses, though. Listen, even Moses, after the people, the stiff-necked people, the the Israelites, did you know that at some point Moses says, Lord, just take my life? He did. He asked God, just take my life. Can you imagine dealing with two million people? Nevertheless, that that was a moment that didn't define his whole life. And he kept going. Listen, it requires you to pray much, repeat teachings, uh, fellowship as much as possible, and encourage others as you are encouraged by God. You encourage others to keep their eyes fixed on Christ as you keep your, your eyes fixed on Christ and keep your eyes on the glory that awaits us. This is why Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is so dear to me. It's It's something that I am reminded of often. It's because it's in that time when I am feeling a bit anxious. I think about these verses, meditate on them, and am reminded of where my mind and my heart need to be kept. In Christ, in His Word, in His promises, secure in Him. That's what I'm reminded of often. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You need to abide. Our hearts and our minds are thought. In other words, when I say mind, it's, it's where we make decisions. It's where thoughts um, kind of ruminate and they, you know, you think these thoughts, you need to take them captive and subject them to the authority of God's word. Our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Who can know them? We need to submit them to the Lord and let the word of Christ guard them. So part of the work that is going on this morning through the hearing of the word is that we would submit ourselves to its authority. And then as we do so, we allow God. He is the potter. Just imagine the potter is there and you are on the wheel. We allow him at this very moment to continue to shape us into the very vessel that he desires for us to be shaped into. That's what we're doing this morning. And by doing so, we give him glory. By doing so, we give ourselves to the work of sanctification, desiring to be acceptable in the eyes of our living and God and glorifying to him. You'll see through this chapter what it means to live for others. Again, as I said last week, and we'll continue through today, therefore living as Christ, living to fulfill the Father's will by being the servant of all. There is nothing better and brings more peace than to know you're doing what God desires. And I remind you of Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Last week, we went over bearing with the failings to live in harmony, and today, exhorting to be acceptable and sanctified. So verse 14, says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, um, just with the title of this, the, this section that I gave to it, exhort to be acceptable and sanctified, I don't mean that we have to exhort others to be acceptable before the Lord. Sometimes we can come across that way, but that's not what is meant by this. What I mean is that the goal of exhorting is that the person's character would be affected 
and transformed by God's word and therefore be acceptable in the eyes of God. Encouraging others to live lives set apart from the world and set apart to and for the glory of God. Now I know that that word exhortation is a tough word. It's it's actually one of the... um, most mild words that you can use for encouraging one another. But I also need to acknowledge that we live in a day in which people are offended very easily. Now, you can say that you're not offended very easily, but you are quickly tested when you are exhorted. You are tested. We are tested. When you have a sharp word to come back with, when you find yourself on the defense immediately, just know that you've been offended. We see in social media all the time, people who don't guard themselves, they see a post and immediately, right? Start typing away. I know that people get offended easily today. Therefore, exhortation is not taken very well. And I can say that 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 is even within the church. It never has been taken very well, though. I know I can speak to the day in which we're living in, but it's never been taken well. Why? Because of our fallen nature and our tendency to be very prideful and make every attempt at protecting ourselves it's a it's a debilitating pride therefore as christians we need to learn how to humble ourselves you know have you ever been humiliated it doesn't feel good right because in that moment of humiliation you feel you feel kind of just open and raw and um, you feel unprotected uh, it's like it, it hits you at the very core. You know, sometimes that's necessary just to, to bring us down a notch, to, to stop thinking so much of ourselves. My wife does it to me all the time. So, well, they say, you know, your spouse isn't there to make you happy. She's there to make you... Yeah, see? We, we all know. <laughs> I'm just joking. Just sometimes. (laughs) We do need to learn to humble ourselves, though. Because the Word tells us if we don't humble ourselves, we will be humbled and we'll be brought low. But those who humble themselves at the right time, the Lord will, will bring us up. Why? Because we're ready to serve in that place in a state of humility. We need to learn how to receive instruction. That's why I think the military is really good. Because in that place, mostly, you have to learn how to receive instruction. It doesn't matter whether you want to or not. It's either that or you get the boot. We need to learn how to receive instruction. We need to learn how to receive exhortation and sometimes, believe it or not, even receive 
rebuke. If you're in the wrong and someone is coming at you like, man, that is, well, let's define. To exhort is to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. Don't tell me what to do. Right? That's what we hear. Or you may not say it, but the way you respond is loud and clear. Don't tell me what to do. Rebuke. Rebuke is the expression of sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. Uh, this is the def- definition um, that comes from the dictionary, and so this is, but it involves criticism. Well, I didn't welcome that criticism. It doesn't matter if you welcomed it. You deserve a little criticism because you are actually calling yourself perhaps a brother in Christ, and you're not walking in a, in a manner that reflects a disciple of Jesus Christ, and so therefore, you know, you deserve a, a rebuke or indirect rebellion to God's word, and so therefore, a rebuke is necessary. Now, why would exhortation be necessary? Well, by the, its very own definition, it's because someone is not doing something that they should be doing, right? How about to encourage, give support, confidence, or hope to someone so that they will continue to do something? So that's the positive approach. But exhortation is also necessary. Because both ought to stimulate, stimulate activity or a state of being or a perspective to continue to develop. That's what we're doing as we're getting into God's word. It's, it's a time of admonition. It's a time of exhortation. And sometimes it's a moment of rebuke. That's where you get this conviction and you're like, oh, wow. You look up, right? And you're like, did, some, did you tell him? It's just the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. All of that is necessary, and it's, it should be happening right now. We ought to pay attention to see what is here for us. You know, verse 14 says again, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So it's a word of encouragement, right? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. says this, verse 11, about this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Oh, now, now I understand why it was that the Lord gave me what we went over prior to the message itself. Because of these verses right here. Again, going back to the unskilled 
and the skilled, uh, the immature and the mature, uh, the weak and the strong. We see that here. But what is Paul saying to the Romans? We, we see that distinction, right? We see that contrast. Where, where ought we to be? Where should we be as, as a people, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ? Because we need to understand, what is it that Paul said? He said he was satisfied. Why? Because they were able to instruct each other. What Paul wrote here in Romans was an encouragement as he was not writing to them because they were unable to discern what was right and wrong before God, or that they were unable to teach or admonish and exhort, but rather to encourage them to do what they already knew was the right thing to do, and they knew how to do it. They knew to, how to teach one another. That, that's awesome. The satisfaction of Paul came because of the people, because they were, number one, full of goodness. What, what is being filled with goodness? Well, with the word of God and God's spirit. Because in and of ourselves, nothing good dwells. Secondly, because they were able to instruct each other. At this point, the local church there in Rome was a church that was fulfilling Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And this was satisfying to Paul and glorifying to God. I have to tell you that even this morning, I'm encouraged all the time. Um, our week of prayer and fasting, as, as um, certain of my brothers came and shared God's word, I was thoroughly encouraged. I could say that, I can say along with Paul, you're able to instruct each other. As I sit here and listen to Dominic give the devotion for communion, I am encouraged, and I can tell you that this church has men, has women who are able to instruct one another. As I think about the Women's Bible Fellowship, as I think about the Men's Bible Fellowship. It's glorifying to God. We just read in Hebrews. I, I pointed out Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, and we're looking at what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Teach the word and instruct how to live. This is what the Apostle Paul did. Verse 15 says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He was teaching the word and then instructing them how to live. Paul's commissioning was not just to preach the gospel. So I teach and that's it. No, it was to preach the gospel and to instruct the believers how to live their lives according to the word of God. It, it, it demands involvement, uh, an interaction. That's what it demands. This is why churches must have, must have, this is what we're called to do, pastors, teachers. You know those are two words that are brought together in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11? It's, it's, it's one, it's the same person, pastors, teachers. Churches need to have, must have pastor teachers who are shepherds to the people. Jesus is under shepherds and not detached motivational speakers of the flesh who are disengaged. Here one moment and gone the next. It's like, where's the pastor? Oh, he went out the back. He's 
gone. Well, I just want to say hello. Oh, no one says hello to him. You know, it's, that's, that's not a pastor teacher. That's someone who just simply teaches and, and is gone. You know, someone who's inaccessible. Um, yeah, we need, we all need, God's people, we need pastor teachers. Men who are given to shepherding the church. I believe there's too much entertainment. There's too many people who like the, the limelight and, and they, they write books and they go on speaking tours. And that's what they're all about. You're important. You're of great value. And that's why God designed the church in such a way that no man would be over another. We would serve each other. That is why Jesus said to his disciples, he taught them, saying, hey, listen, the Gentiles lorded over, uh, the, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, but hey, it's not like that for you. You are to be the servant of all. But pastors, teachers will not only teach, but sometimes they need to exhort, they need to rebuke. Can't be afraid of doing that. Just as Paul did. He told the Christians in Rome that, remember, I, I had to speak to you in this way. I'm encouraged now, I'm satisfied. But I had to speak to you boldly as well. So he told me, yeah, I'm, I'm satisfied with the fact that you are able to teach each other. But you know that I had to address other issues boldly. Knowing God's grace was given to me, and therefore I cannot turn my back on God's grace. I need to be faithful to the Lord in his truth. Because I, Paul speaking, am a minister of Jesus Christ. To the Gentiles. That's my service. But it was not to lord it over you, but that you may learn to lead lives that are acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But then he goes on from there. Verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So at, at this point in this letter, he's telling them, hey, listen, yes, I'm satisfied because you're able to teach each other, you're able to instruct each other. You know, though, I had to be bold and address some issues with you. But I have to tell you that there has been great success. There has been victory here. All glory to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul is saying here that he is proud of what the Lord has worked in the people there in Rome. Him being used simply as a vessel to bring that about. It is evident that Christ has accomplished much. That's who gives whom he gives the glory to. Again, as I say often, um, you know, one of the things that we need to learn to not do is we, ought, we need to learn to not touch the glory of God. 
Again, what do we have good in and of ourselves? Absolutely nothing. So anything that is good, anything that is praiseworthy, is something that the Lord is doing through you, in, in you. Therefore, we, we simply reflect that. When, when someone encourages you, of course, say thank you, that's encouraging, but all glory to God. That is who gets all the glory. What is it that Paul counted as worthy accomplishment? Well, he gives us, gives us the very reason what is worthy of or praiseworthy. That is to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. They have to match, right? By word and deed. Lives that are offered to God in obedience to his word are acceptable sacrifices. Again, I remind you of Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So not just able to teach each other, but also able to live lives that are consistent, consistently living according to God's word. Like, we need to be consistent. We need to persevere. We need to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are we consistent in what we've been taught? What we've come to know, understand, according to God's word? And do we have consistent application of courage to follow through with what we know to be right. Because this is what Paul was saying is glorifying to God. And this is what was evident within the church in Rome. This is what we should always desire that this should be evident in the church here at Refuge. That very thing. That we ourselves are able to instruct. That we remain humble that we are always looking to the interest of others. And lastly, he talked about being consistent in ministry. Verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So Paul preached, and he taught the word everywhere he went. Um, you can look at the whole region. It's like it's, he went in so many different directions. It, it, it's awesome to see how it was. Obviously, he was a man who, uh, his, whose ambition drove him, but that ambition was centered in Christ. It was um, powered by the Holy Spirit, um, he was anointed by God, and, and he went wherever it was that he was led. But he was faithful to do that, to preach and teach the word everywhere he went, wherever he was sent by the Holy Spirit, honoring and glorifying the Father. You know, I have to note, though, that, note, um, that sometimes I hear pastors referring to these two verses, verses 20 and 21, to claim certain territories as if geographical regions belong to them, and point to these verses to support their complaints if anyone does encroach in the, I don't know, five-mile radius, 10-mile radius, 15-mile radius. 
whatever that may be, right? Um, we need to remember who is writing this and why it was that Paul was traveling throughout, all right? We need to remember that Paul was speaking of apostolic work and not necessarily for himself, pastoral work. We cannot, we cannot blend them together when, it, when you know, it really benefits us. We cannot. Uh, in fact, in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, you would think that, for the most part, the very places where these 72 went, perhaps Paul was there as well. Just think about that, right? Paul was there. The other apostles were there. Um, they set up home churches in those very locations. Christ was already preached. So if we begin to reason and we think about this, is that really what Paul is saying here? Or is he, is he referring to his apostolic work? I'll let the word of God speak for itself. Because much of this area was overlapped by all the apostles and then the disciples and those who, who were called upon to serve as pastors and deacons and serving saints, etc. You know, the body of Christ. You know, there's a time that I traveled throughout the county of Riverside. And I came to realize that there is 350,000 in population here. 350,000. Have all of them been, been evangelized? Are all of them in churches? Are all, all of them growing saints? Maturing in the Lord? Absolutely not. There's much work to be, to be done. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. We need to participate in that work. If anything, we need more pastors who are genuinely given to teaching the word, ministering to the people, and helping them grow to be obedient in word and deed to the glory of God. Because again, Riverside has a huge population. So I would tell you, stay the course. Spread the gospel. See them get saved and then teach them how to live in observance to God's word. That's the great commission that we have. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, is what Jesus told his disciples. That's our work. Our work. All together, collectively. So, last week again, bear with the failings to live in harmony and then exhort to be acceptable and sanctified. And that's what we went over this morning. Paul did the difficult work of exhorting the people. Remember, what it is to exhort is it's to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. That requires the boldness on one part and then the, the courage and humility on the other part, person's part. So that's what we need to have within the body in order to grow, in order to fulfill the great commission within the body. Um, to 
follow through with the commandment that we have in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 of what it means to be a church and to grow and to mature in, in sound doctrine. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let's learn how to keep his commandments. And let's teach others how to do that very same thing. Let's learn how to love the Lord ourselves and then urge others to do the same. That we may be acceptable before God. Remember, that this, was, this is what was praiseworthy. And I'll leave you with this. That is the very thing that was praiseworthy. That we may be acceptable before God and set apart for his glory. May we be that church. Father, we thank you once again, Lord, that we are reminded of what pleases you, what honors you. Lord, I do ask, Father, that uh, as your word tells us, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, these you will not despise. Lord, let us always remember that. Let us be humble, Father, and able to receive, but bold enough, Lord, and courageous enough to also, Lord, as perhaps we see a, a brother who is in need of some admonishment or exhortation, Lord, that we would take the time, Lord, in love to do that. Lord, that we would be the servant of all, that we would learn how to serve each other, And be consistent in our walk with you. In our fellowship with the saints. In the work of evangelizing the lost. In the work of discipling others. Help us to be consistent. Thank you for your grace. For it's by your grace that we do anything. Fill us with your spirit. Anoint us, I pray, Father. May we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, with complete reverence toward you. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name.